Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Share the Load, hosted by myself, Mia Schachter, and engineered by my pal, Pete Ziarto. That's me. Hi, Mia. Hi, Pete. Can you tell listeners what Share the Load is all about? Share the Load is about the division of labor in relationships. So that's all kinds of labor, like emotional labor, domestic, financial, and other kinds of labor, and all of your relationships. So your friendships, your family, your coworkers, and your romantic relationships. Sounds like you put a lot of effort into it. And that's a lot of good info for everybody to listen to. So they should check it out and go to patreon.com slash share the load. And I hear there are multiple subscriber levels of support. That's right. There are several subscriber levels. The $10 level, for example, includes a shout out to your own product, show, or offering on the next two episodes and one monthly 10-minute over-the-phone boundary guidance session with me. And to see the rest of the tiers that Mia talks about, check out patreon.com slash share the load. And how else can the listeners support the show, Mia? Listeners can write a review on Apple Podcasts, post about it on social media, and share it with friends. Very cool. Well, let's start the show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I'm an intimacy coordinator for film, TV, and theater, and a writer and educator in Los Angeles. Today I'm talking to Jeanette Goldstein, who's a well-known character actress from Aliens, Terminator 2, Titanic, and also the co-founder and CEO of Jeanette Bras, a small chain of bra-fitting boutiques where the alphabet starts at D. She's a mother of four children and is presently hunkered down in Atlanta with her husband. <laughs> hey, Jeanette, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing, Mia? Good, pretty good. Um, I found out about you because um, my mom and my sister love your bras oh okay yeah and my mom has been getting your um your email newsletter and she forwarded it to me and said that she thought you would probably have some unique uh thoughts um and ideas about labor and Mm -hmm. uh sharing the burden um Mm -hmm. so i'm so glad that this worked out you too uh, so to start, I would like to ask you um, if you have kind of formative memories about um, learning about uh, work and labor and kind of the responsibility that fell on you. Fell on me personally or uh, in my family system? Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I had a brother, a younger brother, just a couple of years younger, and um I definitely remember being told, you know, you do the dishes. And then I would say, why? That's not fair. Cause, and then they would, they would say, oh yeah, you're right. It's not fair. And then they couldn't argue with that. And then, you know, that was sort of, we, we had to both do them together. Um, it's, it's hard to remember. My mother was sick when I was little, so she didn't do much work because um, she was ill. And my father was working really hard. And so we just, I don't know, we kind of made dinner, went out to dinner. Um, there wasn't really much house, you know, kind of housework, but definitely he, he didn't do housework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wonder how that, um, I mean, cause what I'm thinking about your, your bra line specifically mm-hmm. um, or your, um, your stores is that bra shopping uh, is not, always actually a very like woman friendly thing in the world. 
Um, and it's often not really, um, you know, it, it tends to kind of reinforce, um, like stereotypes and beauty standards about women generally. Well, I've, not since I opened my store. No, I mean, <laughs> so, right. So no, I mean, actually it, 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 it actually was, it was always very women centered. I mean, it, there, it, the w- women always shopped with the bra lady and it was always female centered. You would go and you would talk about your family. You would talk about what's going on with you and your body. It was only, only with the invention, the bringing the department store and the mall and that sort of um, way of selling this item, did it become not something that a woman would want to do. Mm-hmm. This is only in recent times. So um, what I'm trying to do is to bring back how it was done before. It's mm-hmm. as if you would think like super cuts was the only way you ever got your hair cut. Yeah. And so when you, when you went into, let's say, because I, I compare the bra shop a lot to the barber shop, especially in like the black community. You go in to get a haircut, but you go in to learn from the other men and you talk and it's about telling stories and that's how bras were always sold Hmm. and so it's as if you thought supercuts was the only way to get you and then you all of a sudden discovered you know a salon and then so that's there is this real disconnect with younger women women younger i'm 60 so i barely remember it but there is it's it's incredible how the um the experience um was all but lost Right. Until almost recently. Yeah. I mean, my, my experience and I'm 30 and I mm-hmm. pretty much only wear, you know, sports bras at this point because, um, I, my, my boobs were kind of on the smaller side and I really struggled to find any bra that didn't have padding in it or wasn't mm. designed to be a push up bra. Mm. Um, and, and that was, that to me, like completely put me off of, of bra shopping Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm curious where your, uh, like the origin story of your, um, of Jeanette bras. Well, I remember, I mean, I'm very busty and mm-hmm. the women in my family are, um, and we're small, but, but, you know, but busty. And so definitely every, all the women, the undergarments were very important. And, um, like I said, I remember being taken to the bra lady because um, I developed early and she was, it was next to a kosher butcher. I remember that. It was Ida's, Ida's foundation and corset wear. Oh my you know, God. Just the thing that like a preteen wants to be dragged into, which was, you know, they were, they've been there forever and they're, you know, places where you'd walk in. They weren't exactly young girl friendly. And um, so I remember that and thinking, no, I don't want to go there. And that was the dawn of um, the mall. I just wanted to go where all my friends could go. And, you know, if you're larger busted, you couldn't shop at all those stores with padded this and push up that, nor did you want to. Yeah. You were sent to the back of the rack to find some horrible, ugly thing. So, yeah, it was, it was bad on both, on both ends of the, the spectrum. So that was... Um, you know, I have that memory. And then I remember uh, when I was, I was almost 50 when I, I started this store. And I remember that experience. And then I went to Europe and I, I discovered all of these bras that were made in Europe. And I decided to import them and then just to recreate the experience of a warm, welcoming, uh, fun, happy place. And also that a young, a teenager wouldn't, you know, would love to go to and not be embarrassed 
they're not mm. terribly embarrassing, you know? Yeah. Well, I think to frame that in terms of like what, what we're talking about here, it, it seems like you have succeeded in lessening the burden of bra shopping for people who otherwise um, have had trouble finding bras that fit them properly, mm. kind of in the mainstream places that are available. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I don't enjoy clothes shopping yeah. because I feel, you know, and I'm not, I mean, what am I? I'm like a size, it depends on my weight, size 10 to 12, something like that, you know, not not plus size, but I, I kind of dread going into a clothing store because I just like, ugh, there's not going to be anything for me. There's going to be like one thing and then I'm going to try to get, you know, you have this preconceived notion of what it's going to be developed over years. So that's why, yeah, many women have developed this dread mm-hmm. because of their experience of how it was. And so that's, that is the hardest thing for them to sort of walk in the door and go, you know, actually it's going to be completely the opposite. Yeah. And to kind of, I would imagine like let their guard down a little bit and yeah. not, not carry in that prior experience and kind of the, the trauma of it and, and like mm-hmm. change their expectations. Around. Yeah. Well, every, I mean, it's difficult to walk in. I mean, not, very few women want to kind of like walk in and go to a complete stranger, you know, let me just rip my shirt off and have you, you know, so it, yeah, I mean, the, the fitters are like therapists and they, they understand that it's a, you know, you're a, a stranger and there's a relationship and it's a little baby, a little uncomfortable and there's everybody's level of modesty is different and that's okay. And it's a slow progress to where you want to go. And it's not all completed in one in one visit. I mean, it does sound like the therapist. <laughs> yeah. Like there has to be a relationship established and I would Absolutely. imagine that. Yeah. And the people that work for you probably have um, like an innate knack um, to make people feel very comfortable. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, they, they're, when I, I hire and when I interview, I'm not, I'm definitely not looking for people who are good at sales. Sure. I'm looking for people who are empathetic and good listeners and can read the room and have mm. a, a good sense of humor. Um, and that's the sort of the, the person that does, does the best in this profession. Yeah. Is that something that um, you also have found that you're able to teach? Like, is that a honable skill that you... Hmm. It's interesting. I, you know what? I... I don't think empathy can be taught. I yeah. really, I really don't. It's hard. I mean, you can, you can teach. It's hard because when you, you know, there's, there is um, qualities of someone and then there's abilities, mm-hmm. abilities and skills can be taught to a certain point, but everybody comes with a certain quality to them. And right. I mean, I have fitters who are very different. I have some who are extroverts and some who are complete introverts. So it, it, they have two very different styles, but there is a sort of tuned inness to the other human. They're interested in hearing their story. Um, you can teach, you can teach people rem- to remind them maybe when they're a little nervous, um, first ask this and do, you know, little kind of guardrails that will yeah. move you into it. But um you know, no, I don't know. I, I, I think you can certainly be, ta- be taught how to profit the sure. actual, you know, um, I don't think I've hired hardly anyone who's ever been taught how to do that. And actually mm-hmm. I prefer it not, but um, that can be taught because it's a, it's, 
you know, engineering and, and it's no math involved, which is, which is (laughs) (laughs) no math skills is a prerequisite. Right. Um, In, in my work, um, Mm -hmm. like as an intimacy coordinator, we do, you know, I think that there is sort of a prerequisite as uh, it sounds, which is similar to, to uh, your shops that you kind of have to be emotionally attuned to other people Mm. and their body language and, you know, not just what they say, but how they say it and their Mm -hmm. eye contact and things like that. And those are all things that um, I think when, when the people who train people to do my job are, are thinking about who's a good fit, they're looking for those qualities already, but Mm. there are way, I think, I think figuring out how to teach that would be like almost a, a superpower, you know, like if we could kind of share those qualities in a way that it actually seemed like you could um, learn them and, and teach them and share them in a way. Um, I think there's probably certain ways that, that we're able to do that. But, but I think you're right for the most part, it's kind of a quality that someone either has or doesn't have. Um, do you, do you talk, um, with, with people in, um, like employees of yours about, about boundaries in a, in a, in a clear way? In a, with a fitting? Yeah. Um, well, it all, it all goes, has to do with empathy and listening. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it seems also like politeness. If, if there's a curtain, you say, may I come in? I mean, you know, there's certain basic things that are like, yeah. may I hook this up for you? I mean, it, it's kind of a, a basic old fashioned politeness. You just don't grab, you know. Um, so, you know, we have, um, you know, we have a, a curtain and you say here, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to close it. And then I'll, I'm going to come back in and check on you if that's okay. You know, sometimes very rarely you'll get someone who will say, no, I don't want you. You can't come. I mean, that's very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you say, okay. And it, it becomes much harder because we do it with the eye. You fit by the eye and visualizing, but usually somebody moves, you, you know, you always say, may I, may I, I see how this fits. May I do this here? Are you, and actually I skew like the old fashioned way, you know, the lady came in and she goes, hey, look, darling. And then they, yeah. they do that, you know, and I understand why, but I always just say, okay, take your hand. I want to teach you how to do it yourself and put it across here. And if they can't figure it out or feel like, feel a little awkward, I would say, may I go? Oh, sure. They'll usually invite you. Oh, you can do it. Oh, okay. Thank you. So. Yeah. That's such a beautiful practice and consent. That's like, that's such a, um, I mean, really that sounds like a, a consent class all in and of itself. Just, mm-hmm. just asking the question. I think like um, we, we often don't think about consent as, um, as asking, like we think about consent as asking for permission, but sometimes I think consent is um, preparing somebody else's nervous system for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So if, so what, what you're saying is, is exactly that. Some of the time it's like explicit consent, but sometimes it's like, I'm going to do this you know, or I will come back so that there's no kind of, you remove the shock element. Well, definitely, because most women who've never gone for a bra fitting, and, or even if they've never come into our store, they're kind of unsure what is going on. So you say, okay, what I'm going to do now is um, I'm going to have you show me your back. And then once I see that, I'm going to go do this, and then I'm going to have you, and you kind of like lay out the, the template. And then they go, oh, okay, I get it. 
Yeah. And that, it helps from both sides and then they get comfortable. And, but if somebody, if there's a certain point, you should always be sensitive. I guess it is kind of like consent where you're trying to, it's interesting. You're trying, a lot of it, you're trying to make the woman feel comfortable, but women, a lot of women put a lot of rules on themselves. Oh no, I can, I can only wear beige. And then you say, Oh really? Why? Um, why? You ask, always ask why. Um, oh, do you wear white all the time? No, I don't. Well, yeah. and they go, Oh, huh. I wonder, Oh, you're right. That does. Why can I only, so you ask questions to see if you can move them a little further out of their comfort zone, because what we feel is that like, it's good to move people, but really sensitively. And we, we do that. But if someone pushes back, we train, you know, you try this, you try this. And then if they say, no, I no, I don't like that. I don't like flowers. I don't, I, then you're like, okay, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we say it like you have, you, you have them show you their, we use the word they're crazy because I'm doing it as sort of self-deprecating, you know, like we're all just crazy. We have this point where we're just crazy. Right. And you have them, you get to that point where they show you, someone says like, Oh God, I wish I, this bra could help with my, uh, my stomach. And then you go like, well, I got a full body bra. Would you like, and they laugh and they go, you're right. It's just, okay, I get it. So if they laugh and say, you're right. Right. But if they, if you sense a bit of, I don't even want to think about that. Then you just go, okay, that's not a problem. You have to be sensitive when they also don't want to step forward. Right. And, and they're not ready for it. Yeah, that's making me think of, um, I mean, it sounds to me like you're empowering people to question their own, um, like the fact that they're not giving themselves permission to do something. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting to ask them why. And I I always ask why. Um, Because it's interesting. And it's not for, it's for me to learn um, like I'll ask some women, so many women I'm, I'm fascinated who've never gone into a bra store mm-hmm. and let's say they're, they're, they're larger busted. So to bra fitting, if you, you know, if you're smaller, you know, it's not that necessary if you don't want to, but if you're, and I always say, Oh, that's interesting. How come? Oh, you know, I just, I don't have the time. And Oh, so what do you do mm-hmm. with your day? Oh, I run my kids to here and I run my, you know, Oh, so, and I don't spend money on myself. I said, do you spend money? on your hair. No, I really don't. I cut it myself. Oh, that's interesting. You do. So what do you spend money? My, uh, on my children, on their education. Right. And then I think about, okay, so she doesn't, this is not important to her. She has no value and that's fine, but she values her daughter's education. Mm. So I was thinking about, well, when her daughter becomes 13, 14, there's such a lack of education for young girls about their bodies and especially their breasts. They don't that. So I started talking about education of her daughters. And I, so I got, so I guess, you know, it's funny. I think the probably the best salespeople are the people who listen and are interested, but you know, you want them it to be an authentic way. You want to find you. I want to find something of what I do that is of, of value to her. Right. And if there is nothing, then that's fine. Today's episode is brought to you by me. 
I teach boundary and consent classes on Zoom on a sliding scale. These offer a framework for us to practice the language of consent and find and communicate our own boundaries. I also do one-on-one -on -one sessions privately. I'll let Ophomia share her experience with you. Doing boundaries and consent work with Mia has been one of the most transformational experiences of my life. I remember when I began this work with her earlier this year, I was terrified. I didn't really know what to expect and I was scared that I was gonna make a fool of myself. And I'm so glad that I went because it's nothing like that. One of the most powerful things Mia ever said to me was that doing this work gives you the ability to understand yourself and to then give the gift to others to not cross your boundary. And it's been so rewarding and so amazing and I've literally recommended her to everyone I know She's a remarkable person and the work is so individualized that I truly believe that everyone can get something out of it. Thank you, Afomia, for that incredible recommendation. You can find the forums to register for class or book a private session through the link in my bio on Instagram at Mia Schachter. And on with the show. What you're getting at a little bit is like these ideas that we have around luxury and lack. Mm -hmm and kind of scarcity and um, like giving ourselves permission to indulge sometimes is so difficult, especially I think for, for parents, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I know I, you know, I see this in, in my mother too, that there's like, there's a um, something of a societally prescribed uh, like self deprivation sometimes for mothers oh, yeah. that, that, luxury is not something that you're allowed to have and sometimes luxury is i mean bras can be can be expensive but sometimes it sounds like at your stores they're really what people are paying for is this experience they're paying for this for the attention and the the um like the generosity and the as you said like some of your sales people are more like therapists that they're oh, yeah. that it's the first time that some of these women are coming in and really being seen and then they're also being um, allowed to give themselves permission to kind of explore a little bit out of their comfort zone. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I do find having seen so many women over the years and a great many of them are brought in by their partners. Mm. And it is usually, it is almost the partner who's the one who says, if you like three of them, then get them all. You, right. No, 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 no. I, I, and it's always, it's always that, you know, yeah. it, and you know, if you want to, you know, gender, I mean, the men, I mean, I rarely say, have one that doesn't say she's so beautiful. I just wish she would take care of herself more. I see her as so she doesn't, you know, and I, I, they bring her in right. almost all the time. They'll say, yeah, it was my husband. He, you know, he, he saw it and I was like, no, 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 I don't need this kind of thing. Or, so women, yeah, they right. don't want to give themselves permission. It's interesting that that permission almost ha more often comes externally, that like it's hard for us to give ourselves permission to yeah. indulge. But if someone else gives, I mean, I'm even thinking of like, you know, I don't know that my mom would have gone and bought herself bras at your store, but she was willing to do that for my sister. Oh, I you see. You know, like to, yeah. you can, mm -hmm. luxury is something that we're comfortable gifting to other people, but not... Um, gifting to ourselves a lot of the time. That is true. That's um, true. I'm also really interested in this thing that you were talking about, about kind of um, helping maybe not push people out of their comfort zone, but like guiding them to explore outside mm -hmm. of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, in, in my work, I've kind of developed this, um, this thing that I call the yes to no spectrum. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, there's maybe. 
And on the no side of maybe is where you might feel unsafe, like where you really don't want to, you know, you don't want to talk yourself out of a no. You don't want to justify a no. You don't want to think to yourself, if I don't do something, then this bad thing will happen. Like that's all on the no side. Mm -hmm. But on the yes side, um, you have things like um, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, a challenge, like learning something new about yourself. Mm -hmm. And that all falls under the umbrella of um, uncomfortable. So sometimes uncomfortable is where we really learn a lot about ourselves and try new things. Always. (laughs) Right. And right. Like growth is uncomfortable. Change Mm -hmm. is uncomfortable. But Mm -hmm. I try to kind of reinforce that, you know, if you have a maybe that is more of a curiosity with a little bit of nervousness, Mm -hmm. that can become a yes. So like maybe for some people, floral (laughs) Mm -hmm. is uncomfortable, but not unsafe. Yeah, I think, you know, you can only really take a risk if you feel safe. I mean, right. that's a, a concept with acting. You know, you yes. feel safe with your partner. You feel to try something to go beyond your comfort zone. And and that's where, you know, you learn and the dangerous things, you, you try things out. But you have to feel safe with your surroundings and with the person you're with. Yeah, so, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I'm talking to actors, because I I teach boundary and consent classes to actors, Mm -hmm. and when we talk about this kind of yes to no spectrum idea, it's really about like, you know, the environment that you're in can help you feel safe even when you're uncomfortable. And that so often with acting in in particular, feeling uncomfortable is is part of the process. Um, And like feeling you know, a lot of times actors want to push themselves and try new things and try things that are scary. Um, But being able to differentiate really in your body, like in an embodied way, being able to differentiate between the feeling of unsafe um, and the feeling of uncomfortable sometimes can be really, um, really tricky. Like that can be a little bit nebulous. And especially Mm -hmm. when there's the pressure of like, you know, you're on a a time schedule and the director wants you to do something. Absolutely. Yeah. It can it can just get harder to kind of feel into that. Like, you know, feeling into that can take time. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's very different from from the fitting room and yeah. the set. <laughs> yeah. Well, but now I'm suddenly wondering like where do you see overlap in acting and what you do in the film? Oh, I see a lot of overlap. I mean, especially with the type of um, person that um, I think is good at bra fitting. Um, mm. I think actors are very good. The only problem is, is they have a boss that supersedes me. And that is always uh-huh. the problem, you know, the audition. But the reason I say they're good, I, I, I find that actors and bartenders can yep. also be very, very good because they have a skill. They're able to do a lot of different things and keep a lot of concepts in their head. Because while a, a bra fitter is talking with you and she's also going through in the mind all the stock that she has and all the sizes and all the bands and the cups and, and listening and yet doing other things uh, like a bartender would. Yeah. They're, they're, there, they're in the moment with you and yet they're also busy. They're right. also doing something. An actor is the same thing. They're, you have to be in the moment and listening and improvising. And yet, of course, you have your lines and you have. So you, I find those people who can be very good bartenders, the kind that can talk to you and actors make really wonderful bra fitters as well. Yeah, that makes total sense. And everything you were talking about, about the kind of the emotional attunement that your mm-hmm. fitters have 
um, where it also, they build a relationship and they're listening mm-hmm. and they're being present with the person and they're mm-hmm. gauging their comfort and doing all those, those like emotional processes all at once. Right. Um, but I think the main, the main thing that you keep coming back to is the, the listening aspect mm-hmm. and actors are, are the best of listeners. You know, right. I, right. I think there's a, actors get, um, a bad rap for being like fake and lying and untrustworthy and all this stuff. And anytime anyone has ever said that to me, I think, you know, I think you're completely misunderstanding what acting is. Like acting is just about honesty, being present in the moment, reacting from an honest place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if, I think that like really excellent actors probably have the hardest time lying because they're always trying to get at the truth. Mm-hmm. It sounds, it sounds, it makes perfect sense that, that actors are good. Well, the best liars believe their lies. Well, yes, yes. There's that too. There's that too. Right. Um, so I'm wondering as a parent, Mm -hmm. um, how this kind of like what we've been talking about, about, um, well, all of these things, kind of the, the permission aspect, the luxury aspect, um, the, you know, learning about yourself and getting pushed out of your comfort zone, um, how this has um, sort of presented itself in your, in your parenting. Interesting. Well, I have um, three boys and one girl. Mm-hmm. My girl is the youngest. And, um, you know, it's, everyone is different. You're born, I mean, all, the, all my children, except for one of them, I, I'm a foster mother, so I wasn't there at his birth. But the others, I was there at their birth. And they come out the way their personalities, the qualities are intact from the minute it, that they're born. It's very strange yeah. till they grow up and they just, you, they just engage with the world. And um, so my daughter is, has always been someone who's had amazing boundaries. Mm. Absolute. Like, no, you know, one of her first words is no touch, no touch. Wow. You know, she does not like people. She doesn't like people touching her. She's very stiff when you hold her. She was quite, you know, she's just very, um, very rule-based. She knows herself. She knows her boundaries. She doesn't take any crap from anyone. I mean, that is, that's always been her. And um, so it's interesting. She is very comfortable with her body more so than I was as far as talking about it, mm. especially in front of her father. Uh, I mean, it's, and it's a different, you know, <laughs> she just loves using the word vagina, vagina, vagina all the time. You know, I mean, I think she likes to see his, his cheeks go red or whatever, you know, just using those words and um, very different from how I, I was and very different how my mother was. You know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, you're raised by your mother and, but I, I'm just, where am I going with this? My, it's funny because my, my daughter's actually um, an A cup. Mm-hmm. So she's a different, but she, she actually, she sees the value of spending, you know, I don't like to use the word luxury. It's interesting that you use the word luxury and the word splurge usually goes with luxury. Yeah. Right? Women say yeah. they're going to splurge. So one of my sort of triggers when I, I hear women talk about themselves and, and in regards to buying their undergarments is when they see how much a very well-made bra costs, Yeah, they're, they're kind of shocked. And that's fine because it's, again, the idea of like, if only there were payless shoes and you finally, you go like, how could a shoe cost more than $12? I don't right. understand it. So there's that. But 
when you say, okay, so this bra is about 175 or something like that, and they'll say, I'll splurge. Now, the word splurge, it seems sort of innocent. However, a man would never say that going to buy a suit for a job interview right. to buy goods. He would never say, I'm just going to splurge on a suit. Right. He would and say, I, this is how much this costs and I need it. And I need it. And it's worth it. Yeah. And this is well made. And this and I, I bought, and I, I was like, wow, that word is really, it's interesting. We say that to ourselves, that when we're buying something that really is of value and we are, oh, I'm splurging as if it's, we're not worth it. Right. Even something that is important to us because maybe we only see it is not important. Oh, nobody right. can see it. That's always a big thing. Why should I spend so much money when no one? And I say, well, mm. you can. Yeah. My God, when you, when you get dressed or you take off your shirt, you want to depress yourself when you take yeah. I mean, that's it, or the idea of like, oh, just every day. And then I say, oh, so what does every day mean? mean to you and, you and you unpack it and it's like every day is I'm not I don't need to feel good and I right. only do things on a special day and then sometimes it's only for another person right, right. and there's nothing wrong with doing something for another person but if you just say you know it's just every day and I always ask, what does that mean to you? You know they'll say oh I'm running after kids and I'm doing all okay so you need to be more comfortable you're leaning over but if they say, oh, you know, just, just, I don't know, something for me, and I, it doesn't matter what I look like. You know, right, it can you, be oh. very blah. Yeah. So it's like, you can be comfortable. It doesn't have to be blah. You right. know what I mean? You right. can be happy. You know, every day, why don't you feel, to make yourself feel good? And then they say, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I didn't realize that. Or, and then you'll sort of see why. They'll start talking like a therapist. That's so interesting. My mother used to always say, Mm -hmm. why are you wearing that why are, why don't you save that you shouldn't waste why are you wasting that on yourself wasted on yourself you know it's really interesting so then people start thinking oh, that's really interesting you know my mother never took care of herself so I felt you know and it's it's just this the stories are are really really fascinating yeah and especially with something like like a a good fitting bra. And especially if if you're a bustier person like it's not just what it looks like it's it's going to change your posture it's going to make you feel you know it's going to help keep you from from spending more energy throughout the day you're going to feel less tired you're, like mm -hmm. that's that's huge that's not just like it doesn't need to look pretty for me yeah and also very much so with um with fuller busted women we get over we were over sexualized right. as young girls most of us developed early some not you're over-sexualized as a young girl, so you have all of that. And then when something's not fitting right, and usually you're coming out of it, you get a lot of, you're, again, you're over-sexualized in the workplace or, you know, things don't fit right. So a lot of a lot of wearing something that fits you, finally, you feel like you feel like, oh, you know, I, I right. have control over my body. It doesn't have control over me. Or, yes. you know, if yeah. I choose, if I choose to, wear a lot of cleavage, it will be my choice. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's huge. It's the choice mm -hmm. component. Like completely, mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what it is. It's the agency. I'm, right, the agency. Mm -hmm. I think also though, like the cost of a good bra, especially for, you know, like I, I can wear a sports bra mm -hmm. at $18 yeah. and that's fine. But I think about, you know, 
especially like how much more expensive it is to be a woman in the, this world, like mm. from, from the cost of bras to tampons, pads, you know, uh-huh. like all, even, even things that are just made pink and called for women are more expensive mm-hmm. when they're the same product as like the one for mm. men. And it just, it just makes me, I often think that like the government really ought to be subsidizing like women's products. And they, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A nice and, white blouse, a pair of opaque tights and yeah. tampons and a good bra. Yeah, there exactly. You go. <laughs> exactly. We need like the, we need that, that subsidy because it is unreasonably more expensive to be a woman. It's true. Haircuts. That's the, that's the haircuts. The, the difference between a, a male haircut and a female haircut. Yeah. Right. Which is also outrageous because I think that typically a woman's haircut actually takes less time. Cutting men's hair is really difficult. It's really, right. Yeah, you know, right. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Because you're do- dealing with this instead of you, like, you know, around a head instead of what's typically for women, like the, a lot more of a mm-hmm. linear cut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking about this word splurge as like this nail biting, mm-hmm. guilt inducing thing yeah. that we do instead of, as you were saying, with like a man who has to buy a suit for his work, he would be like, this is part of my job. You know, this is a business expense and it's an investment in how I'm perceived. And that's right. An investment. investment. Right. An enjoyment. It, it, it takes the enjoyment, the aspect of enjoyment or, 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 or considered you're not considering. You're not. You're just like, oh, I'm just a flighty, you know, girl who's just going to spend her money on, you know, right. baubles and yeah, it's really infantilizing. It's really completely, yeah. and it's it's also um, reinforcing this idea that we exist for other people and for the consumption of other people. Like this bra that I'm going to buy for myself is really only worth it mm-hmm. if it's for somebody else and not right. for me. Yeah, yeah, we get that we get that a lot. I mean, that's that's the a great thing to change is when yes. when when a woman comes in and she's like, you know, you're right. I this is for me, you know. And there is a real there's a real change. And there's also a, I, it's so interesting. I love it's so funny. I love speaking with men. I don't mm-hmm. get as I mean, I I love boys. I've got boys and men anyway. But I like I'll have a a man come up to me in a in a a market one time. And he was like, oh, hi. He said, you know, you, my, my wife shops at your store. And I was like, oh, oh that's, that's nice. And then he would say, thank you. You know, she, she's like happy. She feels good. I love it when she goes to your store. She feels good about herself. And, you know, that sort of coming from the other person, that's, it's really nice. It was a change, you know. I yeah, never it, say, like, I'm trying to change their life. I'm just trying to change their underwear. Yeah. But I, I prefer to come from them. But the idea of, like, you know, you're right. I was always kind of not treating myself well. And it, and it shows. And it's nice when their partner also says, you know, yeah. Yeah, if it changes her demeanor and her confidence and how she feels about herself, that's everything. And that yeah. is on the outside, you know? That is, like, it's not just under your T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We always say just because they, they, you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't show. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, it does. I mean, you, when you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So in wrapping up, I would love to ask Mm -hmm. you um, about your particular influences. um, If you could offer three um, influences, whether those are people or books, movies, um, experiences Hmm. that you've had, um, three things that have kind of um, been uh, formative for you and brought you to this moment in your life. Wow. Um, well, what comes to mind is my grandmother, my mm. grandmother, Bernie, my, my uh, paternal grandmother. And um, 
She was a very, very strong woman. She worked in the, my grandfather's deli. She was uh, the lady behind, the cashier. Mm-hmm. And um, she was just, she, you know, she, she raised us. She took care of us. She was just loud and proud. <laughs> and um, it was so funny. Um, it was always acknowledged that um, she wasn't a very good looking woman. You know, that was, that didn't matter. No, but it was like, but it wasn't like, it was like, who cares? It's, you know, it's like pretty as is pretty does. That was sure. always what was said. It was like, well, what have you done? What do you do? You know, it was always, it wasn't about, you know, something you were born with. I mean, you looked attractive, but this idea of like beauty is confers upon you some magical power mm-hmm. was just, it was like, ah, you know, that's, that's for other people. I don't know. So I, I just, I love my grandmother and um, she was a big influence on me. What cool. else? What else? Um, it's so funny. I, I don't know why it just popped into my mind. I love the movie um, Gloria. Okay. John <laughs> Cassavetes. Cool. <laughs> I love Jenna Rollins. Again, another, I just, uh, I, she was just like this character, the strong woman character in film that I had never seen. I'm trying to think. I mean, I used to always pretend I was a little boy when I was a girl. Mm-hmm. I was always uh, play acting. I was a boy always. And it just made perfect sense to me because they did the coolest stuff. Right. So I was always looking for a sort of strong female characters. And so I love that movie. I thought she, she was great. She was a mom and she was tough and she was a gangster. And um, <laughs> God, what else? Um, you know, I, I, my acting teacher in high school, mm. I had an amazing um, acting teacher named Mr. Ingle. He's a pretty, pretty famous individual. Um, and he was incredible. He treated us like everyone, like adults. You know, we were 14 and it was like, you have to train, you have to work. I don't care what happened in the school and math and algebra, you walk in the door of the theater class and you leave it behind and we get to work. And Mm. you know, it was my absolute saving, you know, it was, it was my safe place Mm -hmm. was uh, the, you know, the drama, drama class. And it was definitely due to him. Cool. Yeah. I, talking about acting is just kind of bringing back a whole lot of stuff for me. And, um, you know, specifically this idea that we're kind of circulating around, around therapy (laughs) and Mm -hmm. these, these times where you can go and kind of leave the world behind. That's Mm -hmm. what I think acting is. And it sounds like Mm -hmm. that's also a lot of what people get out of going to your store. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely being able to talk to, one person, yeah, and leave the world behind. It's hard. I mean, <laughs> it's necessary. I find yeah. acting, I, you know, I haven't acted in since I opened the stores, not really. Oh. And I used to, um, I used to love um, going, like when I was in a, in a play, um, to leave the world behind and just to concentrate on one thing and become a different person for those mm-hmm. two hours. And that was uh, really, really amazing. I love doing that. Yeah. And Jeanette, can you um, share where people can find you online? Oh, the store is at JeanetteBras.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at JeanetteBras 
underscore LA. I'm on Instagram at Mia Schachter, S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R. And you can follow the podcast at Share the Load Podcast. Special thanks to Pete Ziarto at Director Pete on Instagram for recording, editing, and producing help. And to Tyler Field for the music. You can reach me at podcast at sharetheloadinc.com with questions or comments. If you find these episodes enriching or educational, please consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash sharetheload. Well, thank you, Jeanette. This was really lovely. It was really nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Um, Yeah. Bye. Bye.